All right, well, why don't we take our Bibles in this morning and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, as we continue our study in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And again, we are studying this section between verses 1 to 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And we've labeled this mini-series, The Distinguishing Marks of a Faithful Shepherd. And so we have already gone through four. We'll go through three more this morning as we finish up this section. So our text this morning will be verses 9 to 12. Paul writes, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working day and night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you, believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. There ends the reading of God's inerrant word this morning. Why don't we just turn to the Lord in prayer again before we go through our text this morning. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word and we thank you for its clarity. We thank you for giving it to us in human language with the expectation that we would understand it. And we thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit who illuminates these truths so that we can know them for sure. And so this morning, I pray that you would again Use your word as you see fit in our lives, whether it's to break us down, to build us up, to correct us, to encourage us. And so I pray this morning that you would make us those who are not just hearers of the word, but doers also this morning. And so I pray that you would, again, help the messenger to be out of the way and that the message of your word would come through, I pray in your name. Amen. Well, we've been working our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and, and again, we are, uh, we are going through this book verse by verse. And we began this book, and, and we, uh, this book really with Paul, beginning with an introduction. And in that introduction, we found a lot of theology as he began this book. And he, be, he really tells us who's writing it, and we could, we could put it a different way, not in telling us who's writing it, he's telling us why you should listen. In other words, these, this is Paul the Apostles, and those who started the church at Thessalonica, you really should listen. He tells the, who the audience is, the church of, the, uh, of Thessalonians of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and so he, he makes a clear depiction as, as the believers in Thessalonica who are genuinely born again and have looked the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord. And then he gives them what we would call, again, a greeting, and he says, grace to you and peace. And these are the things that he wants for them. And he's not saying that they don't have grace. He says, but you have grace, but I want you to experience more. And you have the peace with God, but I want you to experience more in your life. I think we called that the AAA introduction, didn't we? The, the audience, uh, the authors, the audience, 
and the address is, I think, what we called that. And then as he worked through chapter 2 of th- from the rest of the chapter in verse 1, we saw that Paul was responding to Timothy's return in chapter 3, verse 6, where he had gone to see how the church was doing because they were, again, under much tribulation. The church was founded, and Paul wasn't sure how they were doing. And Timothy comes back, and as Timothy comes back, Paul just pours out this praise to God for the Thessalonians and for God's work in the Thessalonians. And we had again said that it wasn't that Paul was giving flattery to the Thessalonians, but rather he was giving thanks to God for his work of grace in their life. That grace that Paul had, that they had come, that God had established them in and God wanted, Paul wanted them to grow in was, was the grace that saved them. And there was a saving work of grace in their life. And so Paul gave thanks to God for who they were and for what God had done in their lives. But then as we came into chapter 2, we said that Paul is shifting gears here. And after giving that thanksgiving, he's now starting into addressing the issues that he thought he needed to address with the Thessalonians. And what becomes clear here is that Paul is making an apologetic. He is, he is defending his ministry to the Thessalonians. And it, it, Timothy is coming back and probably reporting that that Paul is, un, is being attacked by false teachers. And we, we went through that as we saw the resistance that Paul had to his ministry and that they were now trying to undermine the church by undermining the leadership and saying, look, those guys who came to you, they're just really poor philosophers. In fact, they're not even good philosophers. They're just ordinary philosophers. In fact, they're, they're not even ordinary. They're worse than that. And so these guys came to you and they ministered to you. And in their ministry, they're just trying to take advantage of you. They're just trying to get stuff from you. They're no different than anybody else. And they probably pointed, we saw, to some of the things that Paul had done. He had received an offering from other churches. They even may have looked at his work among them and said, guess what? He's just doing that to get more money. They could say, well, look at that. He converted. There was a lot of, of the ladies, the rich ladies in town who were converted under his ministry. Ah, he's just like all those other philosophers who were, were using their influence to, to gain money and to, gain, and, and to have their flesh fulfilled. And so there was a lot of accusations that were being made. And Paul is in the midst of saying, actually, no, that's not true. That's not, that's not how we came. And so as Paul puts up this defense, we're really going to see that he starts to give us faithful marks, uh, marks of a faithful shepherd. And in, in that, we're going to see that he's going to say, actually, this is who we actually were. In spite of these accusations, this is who we are. We are not who you are saying that we are. And then in those faithful marks of a faithful shepherd, we will see things that we are to be as well. In other words, it's not just for shepherds, though shepherds should be this way, but ultimately it should be for every believer to mimic the leadership as they follow Christ. And we saw in those first verses that he, he did like a negative and a positive. We, they say this, but we're this. They, they say this, but we're this. 
And so Paul says, actually, we're not like the other philosophers because we came to you, we were courageous in proclamation in spite of danger. In other words, we proclaimed the gospel to you and it didn't matter that we were actually under attack. In fact, we actually got stronger. We, we actually got bolder. He said, philosophers don't do that. Those guys who are coming to take advantage of you, they're not here to get persecuted. They're here to get what they can get and get out of town. He said, we were godly in our motivation and proclamation. We weren't trying to, to fleece you. We, we are, we, before God, our motivations were good. God can attest to that. We were selfless in devotion. We were completely devoted to you. It wasn't about us. It was about you. We came in affectionate love. He said, it was, we, we came to demonstrate, as it were, a mother's love to you. We were affectionate. We were selfless in our devotion to you. And now Paul, as he comes to our section, gives us really three more marks of a faithful shepherd. Three more marks that are characteristic of, of a, a shepherd who is faithful in his ministry and in his walk with the Lord. And ultimately, these three marks are something that should mark every single believer. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a mother, whether you're a teenager, whether you're a father, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, whether you work in the youth group, whether you are, are the one who sweeps the floors. It doesn't matter. These characteristics should be characteristic of you. And so this morning, we will see, first of all, the first mark that a faithful shepherd is sacrificial in love, secondly, righteous in example, and thirdly, fatherly in care. So the first mark that he gives us is, is really what we would call sacrificial in labor. And again, Paul is, is facing the accusation that he is fleecing the flock, that he is profiting for, from, from that. And Paul says, actually, the opposite is it true. We were sacrificial in, in our service to you. We were sacrificial in our labor. We weren't there to take advantage of you. We were sacrificial. And so he begins this section four with this little word four. And again, that points back to verse, verse eight, where Paul has already said that they were... Um, that we, we had grown affectionate for you. We had become dear to us. And in, and in fact, because we were, were, were so affectionate and you were so dear to us, we imparted not just the gospel, but our own lives. In other words, the affection that we had for you made us share our lives with you. And that affection now is demonstrated in our conduct towards you as we go through these next verses. And he says, this is how we shared our life. This is how we behaved among you. This is how we showed our affection for you. Now he says in verse, in this verse, he says, for you recall brethren. Now, the word brethren here, again, is not just a term of affection, but Paul is saying, I'm actually... It is a, a, a term of affection, but he is also appealing to them on the basis of their common spiritual interests. In other words, brethren, we are in the same family. So what I'm about to tell to you, you recognize that we, are in, we have the same 
spiritual interest. I'm putting you on the same ground with me, recognizing that we are together. And he says, for you recall. And the idea here is, is you bring to your memory. In other words, when you hear these accusations against me, when you hear them saying that we behave certain ways among you, he said, you recall this. In other words, this is an active recall on your part. It's not just remembering facts as if they came to them, but rather on hearing them, they purposely think about it and they recall that the way that they behaved. And so he says, for you recall, brethren, you, you actively remember when the accusation came that we're, we're there to take advantage of you, that we're taking things from you. He says, you remember our labor and hardship, how working day and night so as not to be a burden to any of you. And he says, we, we labored. Now, Paul didn't arrive in the town as a gospel virtuoso and demand celebrity treatment. He wasn't like the Pharisees who wanted to be special. Diopatries in, in 3 John 9 where he wanted to be preeminent first. Paul didn't come that way. He says, in contrast, Paul and his companions labored. Now labored has, indicates a weariness and fatigue that arise from continuous vigorous activity. In other words, He's saying, we worked so hard among you that we were tired. We worked so hard that we were tired. Now, I, I, just, I still recall a gentleman who said, when I go to work, I don't want to come home tired. Right? I, I go to work, I don't want to come home tired. And, and, and that's just not biblical. Paul says, we, we worked, we labored until we were what? Exhausted. We, were, we labored till we were exhaust, exhausted. And then he says, and hardship. In other words, we worked, but we had difficulties in, in, the, in the process. We worked under difficult circumstances. And he says, we came to you and we, we labored hard. We worked to the point of exhaustion in difficult circumstances. You know how we came. He says, how working day and night. And again, this does not denote, the, the word working here has the idea of working for wages, especially manual labor or working in a trade. And we know from Acts 18.3 that Paul was a tent maker. He was someone who worked with his hands. He came from Tarsus where they used to make uh, and weave the material for tents. We're not sure if he was the weaver or if he was, if he was the guy cutting the tents, but it would seem that he was in the tent business. And so here he is, and he says, we worked, we, we worked hard day and night. Now, Paul is not saying that he has worked every night, day and night, without a break. He's not saying, I work 24 hours a day. So that just for some of us who want to run off and go, okay, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to work every, every hour of every day. Remember, God created sleep, right? He created sleep. He meant for you to sleep. And so there is actually no uh, merit badge for always being exceptionally tired to the point where you destroy your body, right? God gave you a temple. He expects you to take care of it. Sleep is ordained by God. So when you go to sleep at night, when you are exhausted after working hard, guess what? Sleep. It's good for you. God's intended it that way. 
But what he is saying is that he worked for periods of times. In other words, there were times where I worked during the day and there was times where I worked at night. And he said, what I did do is I worked hard. I worked the point of exhaustion and I worked whenever there was work that needed to be done. So he's not saying I worked every minute of every day. The emphasis on kind of time, not duration. In other words, he says, I worked hard. I worked, I labored hard. I did it day and night. Whenever it needed to be done, where it needed to be done, he said, I was willing to actually move my schedule. I did whatever was necessary for the job. And he said, here's the reason that I did it. Here's the reason why I worked so hard. Here's the reason that I labored so hard. So as not to be a burden to any of you. Okay, he says, I didn't want to be a burden. It means to weigh down, to place a weight upon someone, to put a burden on or to be burdensome, to press heavily on or to be severe with. And he says, Paul said, I didn't want to come to you and be a burden to you. I didn't want to, in referring to material resources, he says, I didn't want to come to you and make it so that it was difficult for you because you were giving money to me. In other words, I did it because I didn't want to take the little money that you have and for you to give it to me. I didn't want you to have to sacrifice to hear the gospel. And so he says, I I did this so that it was good for what? You. Now, his opponents are saying, Paul, Paul's just here for the money. Paul's taking advantage of you. And Paul says, oh, far from that. Far from that. We worked hard. We worked day and night. We labored hard to the point of exhaustion so that you wouldn't have to give to us. So we wouldn't be a burden upon you. And he says, you recall this. You know this. You can bring these facts to your mind. And again, Paul was, this was typical of Paul. He told them again in 2 Thessalonians 3, 7, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working day and night so that we would not be a burden on any of you. Paul says, I didn't even, I didn't even come up, I didn't even take your bread for free. I paid for it. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. Says, Paul says, far from it. We were modeling good behavior from you. We wanted to make sure that the gospel didn't cost you. We weren't here to, to gain from the gospel. We wanted you to gain from the gospel. And that's why he said, we, we, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. That's what we were here for. We were here to give, not to take. Give, not to take. And we gave you the best thing that we could give you as we proclaimed the gospel. Now, proclaiming the gospel is difficult work as well. It's difficult. It's hard, there's hardship it's exhausting. It requires much work and prayer. It requires consuming personal follow-up and interactions, patience, answering questions, engaging in the whole process of discipleship. And he says, we did that for you. And we wanted to make sure that you didn't think that we were here to profit from the gospel. 
And so Paul says, we were sacrificial in labor. So the application becomes to us is what? Are we self-sacrificing in labor for the gospel's sake? Are we those who are willing to work for the gospel's sake? Or do we do service and do we do ministry when everything's easy and good? Are we, are we those who go, well, you know what? I'm a little busy this week, so I'm just going to skip. You know what? I'm a little bit tired. I think it's a bit much. Or are we like Paul who says, I, I am actually willing to sacrifice and labor to the point of exhaustion. Not tired, he said exhaustion. I don't know if you guys remember when you first started working. I know when I did. First time I had a nine to five job, I used to come home and I was dragging, right? And I would just fall into that chair and that was it for the day. You know, I was just hoping the food would fall out of the fridge. But eventually you got used to that and you started to do a few things in the evening. And then you started to work longer hours. You used to take some overtime and pretty soon you still could function. And then there is that fateful day when children arrive in your home. Right? There's no schedule anymore. It's not 9 to 5. It's not 10 to 12. It's not anything, right? Now you are on full time, right? And guess what? When that child cries, you get up. Or you push mom out of bed like I did last week. Right? So you have to, you, 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 your time is no longer your own. And so you must simply serve. And for many of us, we need to be careful that we're not those people who, who come home and say, well, you know what? I've worked an eight-hour day. I've done my work. I'm tired. Right? I, I'm done. I, I can't put out anymore. Are you, exhaust, are you to the point of exhaustion? Uh, it's, it's funny. Um, one of the presidents in the United States, I forget his name now, he decided that it was a bad thing that they worked, they took the workday back from 12 to 10. And he was concerned that people would get lazy and not work anymore. And I think sometimes we forget that God created the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. And he labored for six, not for five like we do, but six, six days. And so the question becomes, are we, and I, I don't want us to guilt us, to, to, in, but, I, but are we willing to put in that effort for the gospel's sake? Are we willing to do it for the church? Are we willing to do it for the spiritual well-being of others? Are we so caught up in our own lives that as soon as there's a bit of effort, a little bit of difficulty, a little bit of, of problems, we just back away? And Paul says, first of all, your shepherds need to be this way. Right? Your shepherds need to be this way. Your, your shepherd should be the hardest working guy in the church. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. But he needs to be hard working to the point of exhaustion. So when you find your shepherd out on the golf course three times a week, and when you have him saying, listen, 
I already teach once a week. What more do you want out of me? You have to say, listen, is he acting like Paul? Is he a faithful shepherd? No. And so too, each one of us must examine our hearts and say, is that who I am? Am I willing to have sacrificial labor for the gospel's sake? I trust that the Lord will work in our hearts. And I will say this, there are some of you who are already doing this. There are some of you I know who labor long and hard and you serve on your time off. For that I commend you. And for that I give glory to God. So Paul says, sacrificial. The fifth mark of a a shepherd then is one that is marked by sacrificial labor. But Paul isn't done. He now gives us a sixth mark of a faithful shepherd. A faithful shepherd is marked by being a godly example or a righteous, righteous in example. Righteous in example. Look at verse 10. He says, you are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly, uprightly, blamelessly we behave toward you, believers. And Paul now is saying, listen, this is how we conducted ourselves among you. You remember this. You, you, you were there. You remembered how we actually behaved. You saw the example of our behavior before you. And so in verse 5, he had already appealed to, to their witness and he appealed to God's witness to, to their hearts. But now he puts them together. You are witnesses and so is God. And he unites them in the confirmation of his ministry and the ministry of his companions. And this is a stronger appeal. And he uses this word witness and he says, you are being called to the witness stand. In other words, there's a legal, legalness to this word. And he says, you witnessed it, you saw it. You now are able to, walk, to see, to give testimony to this. And again, the Old Testament law demanded that at least two witnesses uh, were there to make a statement true. And so here is the two witnesses. And he says, I appeal to you and I appeal to God. Here are my two witnesses to how we behaved among you. So he says to the, wit- to the Thessalonians, you are my witness. And he makes a direct appeal to their, about their conduct to the Thessalonians. And certainly the Thessalonians had witnessed the kind of life that they had lived among them and how they had, how they had displayed it among them and could personally testify to the manner in which they had conducted themselves. And so he says, you, you are my witnesses. But he says, you know what? I, I, I appeal to God too because guess what? You, don't, you can't see the inside of my heart. You can't really see my motives. But he says again, God can. This is the God that is constantly testing our hearts, he said back in verse 4. And so Paul could say, could advance these claims concerning their conduct with a clear conscience. Paul wasn't trying to pull one over. He, he had a clear conscience before God. And so he says, our work is subjected to both human and divine scrutiny. And guess what? We pass. So Paul goes on now to 
summarize their conduct or behavior among them, and he uses three terms to describe their conduct. He says they acted devoutly, uprightly, and blamelessly. Now you notice that all three of these words here used to describe their conduct end up in L-Y. Uprightly, devoutly, and blamelessly. And these three words are adverbs. Okay, they are adverbs describing their behavior. If he had used, if he had used adjectives, he would be describing their, their character, right? So if he said they were upright, they were blameless and devout, he would be describing their character. But here he's describing their behavior. He wants you to look at how they actually believed, how they were. So he says, I want you to see how we conducted ourselves among you. He says, devoutly, uprightly, and blamelessly. Now, Paul is not saying we acted perfectly in front of you. He isn't making a claim to perfection here. He's not saying we, 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 we never messed up. And Paul was pretty clear that he had not already attained, right? In Philippians chapter 3, I haven't already attained, but I strive, right? I strive. Rather, he is saying that him and his companions lived in such a way that these qualities were uh, a mark of their conduct, a pattern of their behavior. As one writer states, he is saying that he and his companions had an eminent degree of attainment in the area specified. In other words, they, they, had, they had advanced in this. In other words, this was characteristic of who they were. It was so evident that he knows that the Thessalonians were able to judge this. And so he says, now let's look at these three. He says, first of all, we were, how devoutly we were. The first characteristic of their conduct was devoutly. Devoutly means sacredly are marked by a conscious regard for divine law in a way pleasing to God or in a holy manner. And it emphasizes how they live before God. It means they carefully fulfilled the duties God gives to a person. In other words, the Thessalonians could look and say, look, look how they are devoted to God. Look how they are living in obedience to him. Look how, the, how devout they are to follow after him. And so they, he, they said, how devoutly we behaved. And then he says, uprightly means to manifest right conduct, walk morally, out, outwardly right, in, in a right way that which is in accordance with God's requirements. And this tends to be more towards men. And he says, listen, you know how we behaved. You watched us in our interactions with you, that we were upright. We, we were Christ-like towards you in our behavior. They came up to the full standard of was right and just and their performance in life duties. In other words, when we dealt with you, we dealt with you righteously and rightly. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't treat you poorly. We didn't treat you according, not according to God's standard, but we lived a life that was up to God's standard. We were in right standing with him as we walked in our conduct with you. And then he comes to an adverb here that is negative, and he said, blamelessly blamelessly blameless claims has the idea here that there was nothing 
that the Thessalonians could paint, point to or even God could point to that they had done that they could make an accusation that would stick. In other words, their lives were so upright, their, their lives were so righteous that in their behavior that no matter what charge was brought against them, nothing could stick. And so he says, you know that. You know the accusations that are making. And he says, you weigh our conduct and you know that there's nothing in our conduct that once you throw something at us could stick. Because we, we walked righteously before God. There's nothing to believe in those accusations. One writer puts it, the lives of the messengers had demonstrated they not only believed the gospel, but also behaved it. I think that's good. They behaved it. The conduct and behavior was toward you believers. In other words, to the church. The multitude of those who believed, Acts 4.32. And they acted this way towards the converts. They excelled as a role model for these new believers, not just in their preaching, but in their practice of truth. And so he says, these were believers. And again, the idea with believers here, it, it has pictures this, them as characteristic of continuing in their continuing faith. It pictures them as characterized by their continuing faith. Faith is central in the Christian life and vital saving faith is a continuing faith in Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. It is exactly that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that enabled them to properly conduct, properly evaluate the missionary's conduct. Did you hear that? It is because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, because they were believers, they could actually be able to truly take a look at this conduct and evaluate it according to God's standard. Right? The world will make accusations and the world will have its standards of truth and they will see what they want to see, even against those who are, by God's standard, blameless. But guess what? The believer has the ability because of, the, of their salvation in the Holy Spirit to actually what? Evaluate this. And so they evaluated and scrutinized and examined and cross-examined their testimony and it held good. Now it's interesting that, that this word behaved here actually has the idea of became. And the idea here is that they, they behaved or they became in other words, they demonstrated this behavior not because they became more and more like this when they were there, but rather that they were, this was who they were. They, they behaved this way at Thessalonica upon their arrival and continued to conduct themselves this way, and therefore, that is who they were. And so he says... Our conduct was so good, no one could blame us. And this needs to be the conduct of every shepherd. He needs to live a life that is beyond accusation, beyond appearances of evil. It should be that the point that when there's an accusation made, it should automatically be in the minds of the people who are following that, guess what, that cannot be true. 
Not because men are not fallible, but because there's a demonstration of character and obedience and blamelessness before them because you have witnessed the way that they live. Their conduct must be above reproach. But that goes for all of us, not just if we are to follow our pastors and our shepherds, then we too need to live a life that is devout, upright, and blameless. So the question is, do we know what we obey? Do we obey what we know, I mean? Do we obey what we know? Have we gotten sloppy in our work? Do we live a life in such a way that no accusation can be made against our life? Do we live in a way that people should follow us? Should people want to follow us? Do we walk uprightly and blamelessly and devoutly? And that's the question for us. Is this how we behave? And we're called to. We're called to walk exactly that way. Well, Paul says you need to be sacrificial in labor, righteous in example. And then he says this fatherly in discipline, or we could say fatherly in training. He says, just as you know, we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring you as a father would his own children. And again, he appeals to what they know. He again appeals to their memory. And he continues to do this because it, he wants these truths. There should be self-evidentiary to the Thessalonians. Whatever accusations are made, what he's telling them should be self-evident. So just as you know how we we're exhorting you, encouraging, and imploring you as a father would his own children. So Paul says, first of all, that we, that we work with you, not in verse 7 he says, we pictured it as a tender nursing mother, unselfishly pouring out her love and caring on her babes. Here the picture is that of an earnest father dealing with his children in education and discipline. Now notice this. The idea here is that he is treating them what as his own children. And the idea this is this is the idea of a father who is educating and in the lives of his own children. And he says each one of you, in other words, each individual child, just as a father or a good father does, he works in his children and he works with all of them and he works with each one individually. He doesn't just work with the group, but he works with each one. And he meets the need of each one. And Paul says, we, we work this way. We work with you as converts, as a father works with his children. A father tends to be a little bit sterner than a mother. He tends to be a little bit more direct. But he says, we didn't come as a taskmaster. We didn't come harshly, but we came with the concern of a father intent of training his children according to their needs. He says, we came to each one of you and we, we, we came to you as a father. Now he gives us three 
we would say, three aspects of the instruction, three elements that he indicated his father works with the, with the converts. He said, we were continu- the idea is we were continually exhorting and encouraging and imploring you. This was, this, was what, this was a continual practice of what we did among you. This wasn't something that we did once and walked away, but it was characteristic of our work among you. And then he says, we did this. We were exhorting you. It's a general term and indicates a strong appeal to make their converts adopt a suitable course of action has the idea of motivating them to action. Some of them were hesitant. They needed to be motivated to do what was necessary. And so he comes alongside them and he says, we're going to to come alongside you as it were and encourage you and motivate you to do what you need to do. He says, we came encouraging, means to encourage in the sense of comfort or consolation. It is so critical insisting towards spiritual growth because many obstacles and failures that a Christian can experience in their life and Christians can become discouraged. They can become what the Bible calls faint-hearted. This word was used in John chapter 11 for the consolation given the grieving family of Lazarus. It was reserved for the tender, restorative, compassionate, uplifting needed by struggling, burdened, broken-hearted children. He says, there's a time for us to need that we need to come alongside where we came alongside you and we encouraged you. The dip, things are difficult and we needed to encourage you to lift up your spirits to carry on. And then he said, we came imploring. Points to the earnestness with which the appeal is made. It comes from the, a, ba- a word which basically means to evoke a witness, hence to declare or to insist. And so they came along and they, they were imploring them to do what is right. Imploring them to follow the means by which they were to go. This has a note of severity, involves discipline. It's a virile ro- word. As one writer wrote, a robust, firm, masculine word. I'm afraid that we find a lot of sissy preaching in our pulpits today. The popular thing is to have a little sermonette given by a preacherette to Christianettes. There is so little urgency. Someone has defined the average church service in a liberal church as when a mild-mannered man gets up before a group of mild-mannered people and urges them to be more mild-mannered. And then he writes, oh, that is sickening, my friend. Right? And so there should be a certain thing when we get to church and we hear the word of God that there's an implorer and a a calling to be obedient. And so, and notice this, these words are in the plural. Paul is indicating that his colleagues joined Paul in the work. All of them did this. All, it was an example for all of them. They all implored. They all did this. And so he says, I appeal to you as a father, beseeching you or urging the hesitant, encouraging the faint-hearted, charging or juring the wavering, calling to obedience and instructing. 
Paul says, this is how we came to you, fatherly in care, far from being a harsh taskmaster, far from being someone who took advantage of you, we treated you as if you were our own children. And Paul says, we, we didn't do it for gain. We didn't do it to get something out of you. We did it for a specific purpose so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He said, our effort was a gospel effort. It was an effort here to make you walk in a manner. In other words, to walk in your Christian walk in a way, in a, in a, in a way that is pleasing to God. Worthily has the root meaning of weight. Speaking of a walk that is equal worth and weight, befitting and suitable to the God to whom they had come to know as Savior. In other words, I want you to walk in a way that is worthy of the, of the Savior who saved you. Your life needs to be as, have much weight in its obedience and its walk as who you represent. So Paul says, I, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of him who called you. Paul was never content merely to gain large number of converts without seeking to induce them to walk worthy of the Lord they professed. For a true believer, the character of his daily life can never remain a matter of indifference. And so Paul says, this is who we were. We came to you not, not as a taskmaster, not someone taking advantage of you, but we came and instructed you in the ways of God as a father concerned for his own children. We weren't there for our good. We were there for your good. And so Paul says, this is who we were when we were among you. And so Paul says, this is who we need to be, right? We need to be those who are willing to be invested in one another. And he says, first of all, it starts with your shepherd. He, he's got to be a guy who's willing to do this. And notice this. He's treating individuals. He's treating them where they're at and where their need is, right? There's a time for us to gather and a time for us to hear the word of God together, but there's also a time where we need to have it pressed where we need it. And there's going to be people at different spots and different places, and they need, we need to recognize what they need and we need to give it to them. And there's going to be times where we're going to need a little exhorting, and sometimes we're going to need a little imploring, and sometimes we're going to need a little encouraging, but that is what's to be done. And so too, we need to be those who are willing to be like Paul. That we so desire the good of others that we treat them just like children, just like children of God that need to be instructed and helped. And if we do that, we too will be pleasing to God. Well, this morning, again, as we close this section, we see these marks of a faithful shepherd. And we each one are called to go back and to read this section and to see that, first of all, we need to measure our shepherds this way. Now, remember, just before you go through that, we're looking for direction, not perfection, right? <laughs> okay. 
But we are looking for direction, right? We're looking for growth and we're looking for direction. And then we have to say, okay, do these mark my life? Do, they, do these things mark my life? And if they don't, then we have, to, we have to ask God to help us to exhibit these marks. And if we do, then we will be faithful servants of God as we serve him. And so I pray that God will, again, take the, each one of these and that we would measure our lives and see where we are and that we would ask him to help us to be a faithful servant of God, just like Paul was a faithful shepherd to the Thessalonians. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us your word that we might know what is good and true. And so I pray this morning that we would again measure our lives against your word and what you call us to be. And that we would be those who would be willing to labor for the gospel's sake, sacrificially if we need to, that others might be saved. Pray that you would help us to be those who are fatherly in training others, that we would be those who would be in such a place that we would be able to instruct, that we would be able to help others in their spiritual growth. And I pray that you would help us to be those who conduct our lives in such a way that we are an example for others, that they might see the Lord Jesus Christ in us and that they might want to strive to be like us as we follow Christ. So I pray that you would again impress these on our heart and may we be pleasing to you, I pray in your name. Amen.